Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined yet again for the uh, next update, the next installment from the beautiful comedian, beautiful human, Mandy Nolan. How are you, my friend? Very well, thank you, Danny. You hit your 12-month mark a few weeks back. I did, the 13th of July. It's funny because I ended up in hospital, I remember, not from drinking, I don't, I don't think it was from drinking, it may well have been an end result from that, but because I did end up in hospital with vertigo, I, I know the exact date, so it was the 13th of July, so, yeah. Wow. Kind of good to get to a year. Do you know what's really good? I'm making a podcast at the moment for the Buttery. The Buttery is a drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Oh, Fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and it's celebrating their 50 years and I've been gathering stories and one of the things I was in listening 
and and doing some chatting to people that are in the program at the moment. And it was kind of good. I got to just throw in like me going on. And by the way, everybody, I've just got one year up off the booth and having a whole lot of people actually in a program that are put themselves into a really focused rehabilitation and a therapeutic community and being able to get a big round of applause because they know how hard it is. Yeah, they know absolutely. Maybe not as hard for me as it was for, for those guys, but they know how important it is. And so that was really nice. It's nice to get a round of applause. <laughs> I'm big on applause. I'm giving you one as well. Yeah. You know what? In a way, kind of, I reckon you kind of need the applause because I do everything with applause. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I get paid in applause. Like I put not many people go to work and leave at the end of the day with applause. But when you're a performer, it's all about the applause. Ash and I talk about this. It's so weird. Like he says, like it's so weird in my job just because I can sort of sing or I'm good at singing and playing guitar that people applaud me. He's like, we don't stand around like applauding the plumber when they do no. a great job on your pipe. Oh, it is the plumber. Yeah. Give it over to the plumber. And it's yeah. a shame. We should applaud people. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Well, I'm applauding you for your 12 months. So congratulations. So I've got a few questions, obviously, to ask you. Firstly... How was it? Like in reflection of your 12 months of sobriety, like tell us, what's your main takeaway? What have you learned about yourself? Well, I've learned, I probably, I don't know, I think I've got ADD. <laughs> Everyone's got it now though, apparently. Four of my kids have been diagnosed. And then when I stopped drinking, I went, I think I drink because I'm really manic. And it's the only way I relax. And I realized how manic I am without alcohol around and that like, I just don't stop. I'm like, go, 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 go. Again, mm. that's the problem too. That's kind of good for me. I literally don't sit down. I find sitting down really, I still do. I struggle with sitting. I'll sit down and watch something on TV at the end of the day, but I feel relaxing makes me feel very, very agitated. I don't like having nothing to do. It feels wrong. Yeah, and I, I feel can, weird yeah. and anxious. I have to move all the time. I've got to work really hard at stillness. It's part of this practice that I've had for a long time and I'm getting, I'm much better at it now, but oh, gee, at first it was very uncomfortable. It's like the body just wants to move. and Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I've started to notice that and I realised that I used alcohol to check out because I don't know how else to do it. So now I have to very consciously go and sit down, have a glass of water or a cup of tea with my family or go consciously sit down and read a book. And, you know, I sort of would do that stuff, but now I'm consciously doing it. So that's good. Mm. So anyway, that's a little thing to learn about yourself. Oh, that's a huge thing to learn about yourself. And it's yeah. it's great. You learn these things and without self-flagellation here, but just to, to notice that and think, well, that's something that I can work on and refine a little bit more and do things more mindfully, take the time for myself and perhaps use those massage vouchers you were talking about. I've used the massage vouchers. Funny how you realize being sober gives you a very undiluted view of yourself. Like you don't get a break from you. I've really enjoyed sleeping. Like I've, <laughs> me and sleeping have got this whole new relationship I've never had before. <laughs> sleeping is my only chance to wipe myself out. <laughs> I'm like guy fucking lump. I'm a blackout sleeper, daddy. I just like, I sleep to blackout. I, I keep sleeping until I've passed out. That's how out of control my sleeping is. I hope I never have to give it up. Like, <laughs> oh, fuck you. Feels like the right thing to do, but that is a binge sleeper. Um, <laughs> like, I'm, I do it every day. Can't stop. It's habitual. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm trying to, I'm just really enjoying 
taken me, not, I'm making jokes about it, but it's true. My new love affair is just like, what a boring old woman that sounds like. But I've really realised how the restorative effects of sleep, like in those first couple of months, you go, yeah, your skin looks better, you feel better, blah de blah But I actually think you don't address the deficit of your sleep and that deeper health stuff mm. until much longer. Like I think it's taken me a year to really get into better patterns and to, to be a beneficiary of what it's like to catch up on my sleep deficit, which has taken a long time. I think it's taken time. So I feel differently when I wake up. I sleep more deeply. I feel much more rejuvenated mm. now because I think the first six months, I think I was sleeping like it was still me catching up mm. from years and years. I've got heaps of kids. Like I, I haven't really slept for 20 years. And then I drank as well. So now I'm gone mad on the slate. Yeah, that's so great. Did you find at first when you first stopped drinking, because this can be a real common phenomenon with people, that their sleep is really disrupted at first and they're like, ah, fuck, I shouldn't have, I should have just kept drinking because my sleep is so disrupted now. And it's, it does take some time for you to get into a bit of a more regular routine with the yeah. sleep. Was it like that for you or was it just straight away? No, straight away, straight down, down like a baby. I was really lucky that that didn't happen. I found alcohol disrupted my sleep terribly. I would always wake up at three o'clock having a panic attack, mm. feeling like shit, unable to go back to sleep, drifting in and out. Like I, I think I had really bad sleep for a long time and I'm snoring a lot less. Apparently I was quite the alcoholic snorer. Oh, Ash used to snore. Yeah. Ash snored so much when he would drink and now he just, he's silent. It's, it's just beautiful. He just doesn't that- snore, but apparently I snore now. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. You've Not gone into the deep sleep. You know why? It's probably because he never heard you snore before because he was passed out. I should say that to him. <laughs> yeah. So mm. that's kind of good. Well, I think you have to be really careful. The other thing I went, okay, I had to be really, I've been really careful with what I eat now too because I kind of go, when you're a compulsive person, you replace things and I have to really make sure that I'm focusing on my I'm not, not eating too much, which is not replacing it with sugar. I'm still having sugar, but I'm pretty good. I'm off everything now. Yeah, that's amazing. Gluten, alcohol. I'm that person. <laughs> well, at least, at least you still have a bit of sugar in there too. You don't lose all oh. the fun and stuff. So tell me, how's it been for you performing? I know last time we spoke, you said that you're giving more to your performance and you're feeling like your performance has really benefited from sobriety. How's it been with the audience members and, and other people just noticing your sobriety or have they noticed it? And how's it been received with people within your kind of working life? A lot of my peers are starting to stop drinking as well. So there's definitely a sense of, I guess, this is what people are starting to think about doing in my industry. I was performing with a friend the other day who's just got four years off the booth. And look, he would have died if he hadn't stopped. And he's done an amazing job. And I noticed a lot of the younger comics coming through, they don't drink as much as we did. We were much heavier drinkers. I don't always talk about it, but I might do a joke around giving up drinking and ask if anyone's given up drinking. And particularly when you're out in the country, it's quite funny. It's this kind of, when you, I was out in Coonabarra brand and it was kind of funny. One lady clapped for me, which was really nice. And the rest of the room went, no way. <laughs> and you're kind of going, because yeah, you go, it's kind of funny, but they're kind of like good on you, but no way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you kind of have that more left for you kind of as attitude. But I guess there's that sense, if there's not many options for what you do on the weekend, <laughs> you're not drinking. What mm-hmm. else? Like it's only going to drink your way through to Monday. And 
<laughs> I feel, you know, it, it's been okay. And now more and more people have listened to the podcast or they've seen my posts on socials. And what's nice now is people aren't just buying me a drink and handing it to me. They're handing me a non-alcoholic drink or, or a really nice one and going, I know that you don't drink. And, he, and it's really nice. I've actually found it really accepting. Occasionally, it's lovely. I'll get something from a friend, a few friends that drink more heavily and I don't judge them. And someone the other day did accuse me of being a bit like a vegan. And I went, oh, okay. But I realized I went and I had to go back and reflect. Did I actually say something that reflected on them? And I didn't actually. I had actually said the thing about sleeping. I just said, oh my God, I'm sleeping so well. I'm feeling really refreshed. I'm coping with things a lot better. Is it because I'm sober? Yes, but it's because I'm sober, I'm sleeping better. And my nervous system is not fried. I'm not operating on cortisol all the time. I'm, I'm actually quite mm. deeply grounded. I'm usually operating on nervous energy all the time. Mm. And then they said, you're like a vegan. Uh, and I right. don't think, Danny, I don't think they said it nicely. <laughs> I think they meant I was a cranky, judgmental person. And I said to them, go fuck yourself. <laughs> did you really? No, I didn't. In your mind? No, I didn't. I did it, but I wanted to. Yeah. But I realized it was a lot more fun if I did. It's a good friend. The person was a good friend. and I, But I realized it was more about, probably more about them than it was about me. And that me talking about I'm not drinking made them uncomfortable. Like yeah. people just don't want you to talk about it. That, that's actually something, which is interesting being on a podcast, yeah. that when you're sober, you want to talk about it to other people who've stopped. Mm. And you know why? Is because the covenant for when you stop is don't talk about it. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous is so comfortable for drinkers because they're not supposed to talk about it. Mm. Right. So, but when you're not an Alcoholics Anonymous and when you're open about your drinking dependency, then talking about it means you're giving voice to a whole other way of being. And that maybe alcohol and this culture of drinking is questionable and maybe there are better ways of getting through your life and maybe you might be happier and be a better human in your relationship when you're sober. Mm -hmm. And when you're in your drinking, you don't want to hear that. So I think that is the, I think that's the contract. So if you talk about it too much to people when they're drinking, you're breaking the contract. Yeah, that's so true. Even at the start too, I think sometimes we can feel a bit of, shame did you ever have that feeling of shame at the start when you decided to stop and to actually voice yeah I might have a bit of a problem I'm going to give it a break for a bit did you find any shame there or were you just automatically feeling fairly proud of your choices no I think you do it from a point of I wasn't proud of who I was when I drank and there is a part of you that feels like you failed drinking like everyone else can do it but I can't I'm the dickhead mm. and you do kind of feel like you have to leave the party because you can't manage yourself. <laughs> Fortunately, there's enough people at the sober party now where you're not just sitting in a room on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Anonymous. Like, I'm really comfortable too in social situations with people when they're drinking. It doesn't worry me. They get more worried about me than I do about them. Do you know what happened the other day, Denny? What? And this is something. This was funny. I'm at the, at the pub in Mullum, at one of the pubs. Shouldn't say the name of it, I guess, but I'm going to have dinner. I go, Can I have zero alcohol? You have zero alcohol beer. And they go, Yep, we've got this one. It hands me this beer. And I went, That's 0 0.05. And he goes, Yeah, that's low alcohol. And I went, No, I don't drink beer. I want zero alcohol. And he goes, Well, this is the lowest we've got. I went, 
I hope you're not giving this to people when they come in and ask for zero alcohol beer because it's not zero alcohol. It's got, and when you're not drinking alcohol, 0.05 is actually more alcohol than you want. And he goes, do you eat ripe fruit? I go, yeah. And he goes, got alcohol in it. Do you eat rumbles at Christmas? I went, sometimes. He goes, got alcohol in it. Do you drink kombucha? And I go, I hate kombucha. And he goes, lucky, got alcohol in it. <laughs> I went, are you shaming? Are you alcohol shaming me at the bar? Like, it was pretty funny. But I went, this is the bar. Like, if it wasn't me, I don't know. I just think I'm tougher than most people with shit like that. I think that could have gone either way. I was having a laugh about it. But I actually think it was really uncool and really disrespectful, actually. Yeah, the only thing with that is, is that most of the alcohol-free beers or the, like the heaps normals and the sober beers, they are actually 0.5. And I spoke to, I think they have to say. it's terrible. No, but here's the thing. I spoke to Maddie from Heaps Normal about this and he said that they actually have less, but legally they're required to say that they're 0.5, but they've got about the same amount of alcohol in them as a ripe banana or some kombucha. So, uh, yeah, it's a contentious one with some people, but I think you'd have to drink a lot of them to get a buzz. I don't think you could drink more than one anyway. But knowing that, that actually makes me not want to drink it. Because even at that, if you're not drinking alcohol, then you're not drinking alcohol. Like, you kind of go, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe occasionally. I mean, you're never going to get a buzz off it. But I think it's actually the thing that you're consciously deciding not to drink alcohol. Mm. Well, that's why it's not for everyone. There are some out there that are are zero, zero, like... yeah. The ones I choose are always zero, zero. Yeah, Ash went through that for a while as well and then until we sort of did some research into it. And they, well, they, they said do your research. Yeah, and it's it's whatever makes you comfortable, I suppose. Yeah, like, true. Yeah, I was a bit freaked out by that too at the start. So I'm just like, mm, you know, yeah. plus I don't like beer much, so it doesn't bother me too much. The reason I ask you about the shame thing, I did an interview, really great interviews today with a lady from America who's an author, and she said at the start of her sobriety she felt so embarrassed that she had to quit. Like she felt a real shame around the fact that she had to quit. And it wasn't until about nine months, I think, into her sobriety that another author who she looks up to did a social media post about their sobriety. And she was like, oh, you can actually be proud of this. Like you can actually go out and like, and be proud and talk about it and actually receive it really well. And so that inspired her then to go out and you know, she sort of started posting about it. She got the guts up to do it. And she said it was so well received. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. I think it is that sense that people, they're open to hearing it. And you don't think that anyone's going to be. Like I put a post up for one year on my Greens page thinking, oh, this is good. I'll I'll put it on my Greens page. It's a personal thing, but I'll put it on that. I got like a thousand likes, more likes than anything. And lots of people, most people going, that's amazing. Well done. That's blah, blah, blah. Like we're all really encouraging. And I've done this too. I'm thinking about doing this. Like it created this really big conversation, like hundreds of comments. That is amazing. And just one dude going, I hate it when people talk about this. This is just like people that have to do this virtue signaling all the time just totally loses. Like one really, like, oh, my, oh, mate, you might need to give up drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. Like it, I wasn't telling him to do anything. It was like he was really, people make, I guess it's really funny how people can make it about themselves. I guess everyone makes everything about themselves. But anyway, it's true. There was a bit of shame. It was a little bit shamey. I think when you're further along, you've got something to be proud of then. Like you sh- you've actually proven to yourself you have self-discipline and self-care and that you're able to pull back. I think you can start to move away from the shame because you've achieved something. I think it's just part of it. 
it's why you stop drinking. Like if I didn't feel that I was losing control of my drinking or that my drinking changed my personality and it impacted people around me and it made me stupid and embarrassing, I probably wouldn't stop. I think that's part of it. I'm no longer eating the fruit of the shame tree. Oh, and isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah, it's good. I actually, yeah, I feel really good about it. It's really great too that when you post something like that, especially when you're a public figure like yourself, it might just inspire someone else to go, well, if they can do it, yeah. I can do it. Did anyone inspire you originally when you were first thinking of quitting? Was there anyone in your circle or anyone that you thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it? Look, I know my friend Anya doesn't drink and she didn't mm. give up for any spectacular reason. Mm. She just stopped drinking because it wasn't her thing and she culturally didn't like what all the stereotypes around the Irish and drinking and she associated it with much more political for her that alcohol was for her was part of colonisation and cultural diminishment. Yeah. And so I'd go on tour with her and she didn't drink and I'd go get drunk. It's really horrible getting drunk with someone that doesn't drink. Like it really takes the shine out of it. Um, <laughs> there was that. But there wasn't really anyone around me that was quitting. Sometimes I found when people quit, it made me think I should quit too and that made me uncomfortable. So I thought about it. It was just... It was just a moment. I just think all it was is that I stopped for the reason of not feeling well and I got enough time up to really look at my drinking and go, well, if I've got a month up, why would I go back now? Why not push a bit longer? And then I went, well, why not commit to actually stopping and see what life looks like then? And we've got to be really careful now because I think I'm really in control now and I could really easily kid myself now that I'd be okay to have a drink. Mm-hmm. because I've shown that I've got self-control. But mm-hmm. having self-control now is no guarantee I'd have it if I was drinking. And I absolutely know that I wouldn't. I know how bad I'd feel if I lost all that sober time by having a drink and I don't want to. But I could feel how I could actually convince myself that it was okay. Yeah, this is a this is really important to have this conversation too because so many people get there. They get to that point where they're like, you know, I'm, I'm in control. I've got this now. I was the same. Like I would do, well, I'd never done 12 months, but I had done a certain amount of time, like a few months, like I've got this now. And then you're right back and it happens all the time. And then people end up back in the same situation when they started, if not worse, not always, but most of the time, that seems to be the pattern. And it's really important just to notice that that's just the sneaky bitch, the alcohol just yeah. saying, come on, come on. And it's trying to draw you back in. Well, where to from here? So you've got your 12 months. Are you going to continue on the sober journey? No, I expect to. I guess I'm enjoying myself and my time now. I'm sitting with the uncomfortable prickly bit. I know they pass. And I don't think people ask, like, there's no secret cure for any of it. you just got to sit through it. And then I think, I don't know, I, I'm actually really, I think I'm committed to this. I feel very, very committed to go, okay, this is just I haven't missed out on drinking. I've done as much drinking as you could possibly do and enjoy yourself without doing massive organ damage. And I think I can pull back from it now. I don't think I'm going to get back the heydays of my drinking. I don't want to. Like I much prefer myself as a sober person, enjoying the company of other people and myself and my surroundings and being able to rely on myself. When you were drinking, I couldn't trust myself and I couldn't rely on myself. And it was a deeply horrible feeling to have to be bargaining with myself in the car about how I was going to behave and what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm doing that internally. Meanwhile, at the time, I had adolescent kids and I was going, you know, when you go out tonight, you know you can't drink. I don't, And I'm telling them what to do about drinking. 
that I'm internally bargaining with myself when I go to things about keeping my, like here I am telling my kids to drink responsibly and every six months, mum's passed out on, or sometimes more than that, mum passes out at a party or she falls asleep on the couch with a glass of wine. Like this is not okay. The great thing is I've already role modeled that to my kids. I didn't pull out. I've shown them that except for my youngest daughter, but I've role modeled some pretty bad behavior. That most people would just not even recognize as bad behavior. They would just say, oh, that's normal. Or I'm a bit fun from time to time. But I don't think so. I don't think it's okay. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want, I don't want my kids to, I want them to say, okay, that's what mum did. And she was a bit wild. And I'm honest with them. I'm not hiding that from them. But I tell them, I just went, I'm not that person anymore. And I, I want to show them what it looks like to actually be accountable to yourself. I can't go back in time and be the perfect woman. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> Sounds funny. I never would anyway. But I can show what facing up looks like. And that takes courage. And and that's what I want my kids to see. We all fuck up. We all make mistakes. I'm someone, like you are, I'm sure, like a lot of people listening. I was never the good girl. I've been a wild, party, drug-taking, drinking, excessive, let's experience life to the hilt person. And I don't regret any of it. Mm. I really don't. Probably could have pulled out a bit earlier, but I've had a ball and now I'm having a great time too. And what I would regret is actually missing out now. What I'm getting now is really good and it's just as good. My binge yeah. sleeping is cool. <laughs> binge sleeping is where it's at. <laughs> I know. It's, it's amazing. It's so true, Mandy. It's it, There's nothing wrong with looking back on your life as well. It, it, there was shit times there. It's not that we're romanticizing our life before. Lissy Turner and I were talking about this on last on the podcast just recently about there is some good parts in there too, and there's nothing wrong with still taking those bits and bringing them into your not yeah. bringing that part, but say the socialising or the connection and morphing them together now with the new you. But also, really, I love what you just said too. That yeah, there's no shame in the past, but there's also you can enjoy that, but then also enjoy this new future you. And I think that's so important. Actually, enjoying the new path we're taking rather than oh, fuck, this is something I've got to do and be like your granddad, the dry drunk. Yeah. But rather seeing it as this thing, well, I get to do this. Like this is really cool and I can really enjoy this journey if I want to. Yeah, and it's not like I've lived a life where I don't know what it feels like to enjoy alcohol and what it feels like to be out with your friends and have a few drinks and a laugh and go out dancing and go see a band and have a great night. I've done all that a trillion times and I, I love that I did that. It was fantastic. Um, yeah. I've done a lot of things I wish I hadn't done, but doesn't matter. I'm here now. And yeah, so yeah, I actually think it's good. I think that's the antidote to shame is to actually really lean into it and go, no, that was part of what made me, part Absolutely. of my, yeah, my foundation. Yeah. And I'm just enjoying this new part too. I think if we can go into it, I think that also helps with shame too. Just going into the, the new you, enjoying it, I think takes the shame yeah. away as well. It's just like, no. Yeah, I'm doing this happily and this is what I choose for myself going forward. I think that's really yeah. awesome. I like it. It's kind of funny because I kind of go, it feels like, you know, that time at the end of the night, I was actually thinking this would be a good name for a show because it's not just about alcohol and it's that thing. It's such an Aussie thing. And, you know, if you've ever been in a bar when someone calls out last drink, mm -hmm. last drinks, and it's like people fucking run. They're like, fuck, run, last drinks. They're making it all drinks again, quick. Drinks, last, that's like the arm, it's like the end of the world. Last drinks. Oh, and in that sense of, I didn't even want to drink, but it's last drinks, quick. 
get in for last drink. And I kind of love that moment of last drinks because that's kind of where I feel like I am. As a 55-year-old woman, last drinks is that chance to get the, to get it right. And last drinks is where we are with the climate and addressing climate change. And last drinks is like all these things around my health, around everything. I mean, I'm having a big last drinks moment, like in my life. Last drinks, I love it. Maz yeah. Compton, the radio host, she's got a, a podcast called Last Drinks Podcast. Yeah, as well. She's actually coming on the show um, in a couple of weeks. Oh, but fine. yeah, I love that whole concept. Yeah, last drinks, last drinks. But yeah, I kind of see it. It's more than just last drinks. Last drinks. Mm-hmm. It's like last drinks, like on everything to actually go to to take care of myself. And I kind of go last drinks on create, you know, having those moments with my kids before they grow up and leave home and last look last drinks on everything. Like, you got to see life like a last drinks. Like, yeah. it could all be done. So you better fucking get in there for your last drinks. But the one thing you might, um, it's last drinks, on last drinks. I said to someone recently, what would you do if it was like your last week to live? Because I, I love this question, ask it to myself often. And they're like, oh, I'd go get pissed. <laughs> I know. And I love that concept though. So seeing life like it's, like it's last drinks, that's absolutely, yeah, it's really fucking cool. Because we only get one shot at this. And if we've done all the fun stuff, we've been there, we've done that, and now it's time to perhaps try something new if that's what you're feeling like you need to do. Yeah, it's really good too. And I think people catastrophize what it's like too much. People sit there holding their glass or their bottle, catastrophizing about how bad their life's going to be. And the funniest thing is it's so much better. Like, sure, there's bits that, sure, there's times I miss out on things and you might feel a little bit left out. But that's so small in comparison to what you feel good about. I think we all catastrophize what life looks like without alcohol because alcohol has been marketed. It's a massive, massive multi-million dollar plus billion dollar probably industry that wants us to feel addicted and wants us, even if we have one glass a week, wants us to feel that our lives would be so much worse without it. Everything's marketed like that. So no one's told that their life could be enjoyable and they might be okay. They won't become boring and they will still be able to communicate with others, you know. So I think there's a lot of messaging out there, which is probably not explicit, but it, it kind of gets in and it makes people feel more frightened of stopping than they are of keeping going. That's why I think it's so important to share our stories to say, actually, life's pretty fucking cool on the other side. You might not yeah. get invited to all the stuff anymore, but there's but, other great stuff and there's nothing better than trusting yourself. I mean, that above all else really for good. me is the, that's it. The it's amazing. All right. So I'm so happy that you're going to keep on continuing, keeping on the journey. That's amazing. And maybe we'll catch up in another six months or one year on the podcast. Yeah, that would be yeah, cool. Yeah. To see where you're at with it all. It's, I think it's fantastic. So I'm going to see your show tomorrow night down in Lismore, which I believe is sold out. So I'm very excited. Yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah, but you've got lots of stuff on the agenda as always, and people can go over to your website and have a look. What I'm really excited about is actually you've got your show in the Starcourt Theatre in Lismore on the 1st of September called The Candidate, which will be awesome. Yeah, and that's where the tickets for The Candidate will be available on the Starcourt website, which I think is starcourttheatre.com.au. That's the 1st of September and The Candidate is the solo show I do about running for politics and coming really close. I did it at the Melbourne Comedy Festival this year and got the Moosehead Award to go present that. It's I've awesome. also got Authentic You, which is the speaking kind of masterclass that I run with George Catsey. And is we... that the class I did? Yeah, it's the class you did. 
That was really cool. I don't even know I did a masterclass. You did a masterclass. I did a masterclass. Um, One of our, the people from our grads group just went and did that with you as well in Sydney, I think it was. And she just raved about it last Sunday on our call. She loved it. So I'm so glad she enjoyed it. So tell me about the Authentic You one. Where will that be? It's the 28th and 29th of October. It's in the Tweed hinterland in this glorious location called Coolamon Station. And it's where we run it there. It's not a live-in workshop. You stay and you drive in. So you can stay, if you come from somewhere else, you can stay in accommodation nearby or drive in from where you are. It's pretty well two days with a slightly shorter second day to allow people to get home on the Sunday afternoon. But it's really focused on finding people's, I guess, of course, it's called authentic use or authenticity is key. But it's, and it's really drilling down onto what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? What do you care about? How do you carry your values forward? How do you put you into what you're saying? And what do you want to happen? How do you want to make people feel? And how are you going to cut through? And how are you going to be that voice that speaks to the issues that you want to speak to? So very often we end up with a lot of people I love, activists and for want of a better word, change makers. They're the people that turn up over and over and over again. And people with, and mainly when I say people, I mean mainly women and non-binary people 90% of the time. Not because that's who we target, but they're the voices that we tend to, to attract. And interestingly, the voices that are the most absent and the voices that are most welcomed and loved, I think, are the voices that I love working with. So it's amazing. And in a short period of time, just over those two days, we take you through some real structural stuff, but also some really deep investigative work to kind of break you out of some of the kind of habits you might have fallen into and to give you some confidence that you actually have everything it takes to step up and be a great speaker. I absolutely, oh, for me, it was like therapy. I absolutely loved it. And I think it's also really good for people who struggle with public speaking. It's a, yeah. it's a real oh, Totally. I've worked with a lot of people who hate public speaking. And one woman, she was an author and sent by her publisher. And she was really struggling, like they couldn't get her to do any of the events. And now she's their most, they're going, she's like a most prolific event person where she's doing author talks and lots of speaker circuits. And you couldn't have got her to do one before. And it just got her going. And then she started getting better and better at it. When she realized that she didn't have to create this inauthentic, I guess, person to speak, people always feel like they have to dress up and kind of suddenly look like they have credibility and that thing on this is me I know this when you just speak as you it just cuts through and it's like oh is that all I'm doing great even one person who we worked with who was a nuclear scientist had really complex messaging but the core values of what they were talking about were what made her so dynamic when she spoke and it was disarming literally yeah (laughs) well yeah absolutely and look even people in the corporate world who have to just address even small groups I've got people that are too scared to speak on zoom calls so I I think it's a really beneficial and worthwhile course I can't recommend it highly enough it was was fantastic one Danny you go to authenticumasterclasses.com is great yeah I'll put the links to the both of those or all your stuff in the show notes as always so Mandy Nolan congratulations thank you so much for your time I I really appreciate you and I just feel so stoked for you thanks Danny and thanks for being such a great support to so many people out there who stopped drinking I think it's so great to tell stories as you said these are the stories on the other side it's a different bar room absolutely see you my friend I'll see you tomorrow night thanks see you then bye 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.